finishing, I was hoping to finish off uh, this study on First Corinthians before camp meeting, but that didn't happen. And the study material that I was using to do our Wednesday night study, uh, it did not give significant uh, study, in my opinion, to chapter 14. So last time we were together, we studied chapter 13 of First Corinthians. Tonight we'll do chapter 14. Next Wednesday night will be chapter 15 and chapter 16. So we'll finish up with First Corinthians next Wednesday night, and then we'll start Second Corinthians after the after the beginning of the year. So we should finish up First uh, Corinthians uh, next Wednesday night here in our Wednesday night Sunday school setting. So First uh, Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, if you want to turn there, I don't know if you have read it in its entirety um, up to this point, but I will read it real quickly and then we'll get into it. So First Corinthians chapter. Uh, number 14, verse 1, Follow after charity and the desire of spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret, that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation, or by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine? And even things without life, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise, ye except ye utter by the tongues words easy to understood, un, to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak unto the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, forasmuch as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For I pray in an unknown tongue my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else, when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at the giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? For thou very verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. Let's let's stop there. That we'll go. We'll cover those first seventeen verses first, and then we'll we'll go further. If I read the whole chapter, you'll be you probably already had some uh, long distance in your eyes. I didn't look up, but we find here in First Corinthians uh, chapter fourteen. Actually, started back in chapter twelve. Uh, that Paul begins these instructions about spiritual gifts there in chapter 12. And he concludes it here in chapter 14. But remember that last time we came together, we looked at chapter 13. And chapter 13 is very short chapter compared to the others. 
but it's very significant to to the meaning and the uh, description of everything and the point that Paul is trying to get across in this letter that he's writing to this, remember, pretty newly formed church in Corinth. It was only about four years old at the time, and also for us. So right there in that small chapter is a powerful message. He contains this warning that spiritual gifts are useless if they're not practiced with love, and he included that action-packed definition that we studied of love. And how many remembers what that word is? We talked about four distinctions of love, but the one that he brought out there was agape love. And that's a love that can only be accomplished by God. And so when we read in Scripture that says God is love, that is saying God is agape. And that's a love that crosses all boundaries. And so that's not just the message in spiritual gifts. That's a message in everything that Paul is confronting here in this letter uh, to this church that really had become messed up in their beliefs, messed up in their organization, messed up in their doctrine, messed up in how to apply doctrine and and what they were supposed to do. And why was that? Because they were a lot of self-focus. A lot of individual focus was going on within this Corinthian church. And, and it speaks to us today because if we're not careful within a body of believers, we'll get a lot of self-focus. We'll make church about us. We'll make church about uh, our wants and our needs. As I, as I preach Sunday, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves praying, Lord, give me, give me, give me. And that's, that's where the Corinthian church was. And they even did this with the gifts. Give me this gift, not that I could do something for the kingdom of God, but I want this gift so I can prove that I'm more spiritual than this one. So that's what Paul was dealing with here. So that's why he included uh, this 13th chapter by chance was 13 verses on love. And he included this, uh, this meaning here. And then he starts this chapter where we're at tonight here in chapter 14. And what does he say? He tells them, uh, he says, follow after charity. But what he is saying that follow after means pursue. A pursuit of love. So he's saying, follow after charity. Charity is love. So here he is. He's going to get back on the spiritual gifts and get deep in it. And you don't find a lot of studies that want to talk about chapter 14 because they don't want to uh, come across the subject of tongues. And if you begin uh, to look and see uh, what different ones think about that, they, they, they say things like this. Those tongue talkers begin to throw up all kinds of red flags when they begin to, uh, they call it cherry-pick these scriptures to try to come with what Paul was saying about tongues to say that tongues are for our day. Well, no, Paul was very clear here in his writings. Uh, but he said, first of all, starting off, pursue love, meaning that we need to develop that characteristic. First and foremost, uh, we must develop the characteristic of love. He's, you can't go any further in gifts. God does not give out spiritual gifts to those who do not pursue love and not just love not brotherly love not romantic love but we may not feel that we can show that agape love but he said we must at least pursue that agape love so he says follow after pursue charity meaning to that we begin to develop that characteristic in our life so that's checkpoint number one for us and by contrast here he's telling this the corinthians that that not only to pursue love He said, pursue, follow after, and then he brings another. He says, and desire spiritual gifts. Desire spiritual gifts. Why? Because they can't be worked for. They can't be earned. 
They've got to be received as a gift from God's Spirit. And God does not go divvying out spiritual gifts to unspiritual people, is what he's telling us. So he tells them that if they want those gifts, that they do it. And then he says here, uh, but most of all, but rather that you may prophesy. So what he was saying there, using that word that you may prophesy, meaning that you can have a spiritual understanding. It's not necessarily that everybody within the church is able to say, thus saith the Lord. When we think of prophesying, thus saith the Lord. But he's saying that you will uh, pursue love, that you will desire spiritual gifts, and that you may prophesy, that you may speak in tongues. Yes, uh, but more importantly, what he's saying there with that word prophesy, that you may have an understanding of spiritual things. Remember what Jesus told Peter? Flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you. My Father. So to discern spiritual things, there's a real lack of discernment within the church. There was a real lack of discernment within the Corinthian church, real lack of discernment within the church today. Why? Number one, because we've not pursued agape love. Number two, because we have no desire for spiritual gifts. We have more desire of what we need to make it day to day, right? We, our, our, well, I believe Sister Amy calls it creature comforts. I believe I've heard her say that before. We focus on our creature comforts, what we want, what makes me comfortable, what, what makes me instead of what is best for the church, what is best for the kingdom. Now, when we say church, we're not talking about this building. We're not even talking about just this group of people, but we're talking about something that's far bigger than us. But what we have to understand here. When we get into chapter 14, some will study chapter 14 says, well, Paul, man, he just, he speaks against Pentecostals and speaking in tongues in this chapter. On the contrary, really, he never dismisses or even discounts the gift of speaking in tongues. Not by, you, I don't see how you could see that in one iota in those scriptures, but he gives instructions here because the indication that he had received is that the Corinthian church was, believe it or not, misusing the gift. They were misusing it. So from the context, we can imagine that here's many people, you think about this, people just coming in, and they gather for a church service, uh, and this one over here starts speaking in tongues, so this one over here starts speaking in tongues. And, and I've often said this, that, uh, that the being filled with the Holy Ghost and the gift of tongues is not Comcast. It's not on demand. Somebody asked me one time, they said, are you one of those tongue talker Pentecostals? I said, yeah. He said, well, do it. I said, brother, it don't work that way. He said, well, I encountered one before, and I told him to do it, and he started speaking in tongues. I said, he didn't have the Holy Ghost. That was counterfeit. He was a phony. It's just it does not work that way as the Spirit gives the utterance. So there was not spiritual utterance. We've, we've all, I'm sure, may I say we all, but I'm sure many of us has encountered those that have learned, this is a dangerous thing, learned how to speak in tongues. I've known those. Backslid as backslid could be, but got up on the platform because they, the attention was on them. And I, I knew for sure they was backslid because, unfortunately, they were my family. But anyway, we knew. But yet, here they go. And I'm, they're not even filled. How? And so that's what Paul obviously was dealing with with this Corinthian church. So obviously... He had to confront that issue. 
So we can imagine this is happening. Uh, and so Paul shows that the exercise of the gift of prophecy in the church, he said, it's superior to the gift of tongues. Uh, they thought they were really doing something because they were speaking in tongues. Uh, he said, if, you're, if there's that kind of uh, speaking in tongues going on all over the church and there's no prophecy, he said, you've just created mass confusion. And that's why he put that emphasis on prophecy. It's what is the Spirit saying to the church? Not, hey, look at me. And so once again, he's bringing their attention back to not just man-made doctrine and dogma, but God's Word. And he tells them here that the use of this gift without interpretation is, is just not happening. Apparently, they were using this uh, just to pray out loud, just speaking in some unknown language. And we think, how can that be? Well, also, I've been in church services where a man stands in a pulpit. I listened to a whole message by a guy not too long ago, enjoyed every bit of it. He calls the altar call, and he looks at the congregation, and he says, now just start speaking in your heavenly language. Dude, you lost me right there. You lost me right there. And we, we cannot uh, put that on the man, and that's what was happening. That was, think of this now, uh, over 2,000 years ago, this was happening in this church that Paul planted. Paul, the greatest, can you think of a greater man of God besides Jesus in the New Testament? Paul planted this church, and four years later, uh, you've got this going on, and, and all of these years later, it's still going on in uh, Pentecostal, charismatic beliefs, whatever you want to put title you want to put on it. So Paul agrees that this may be encouraging to the one who's praying, but unless the church, uh, unless the church is being edified through it, it's, it's only edifying that individual, and God never does anything to edify an individual god is more concerned with our holiness than he is our happiness people leave church because they're not happy they come to church because they desire to be holy and so that was the focus. So these first 17 verses, he's saying if nobody can understand what's being said, the church is not being built up. If you don't understand what that instrument is playing, uh, they can be over there playing music, but if you can't put words to the music, if you can't figure out, to, it's, he's basically, he's using that example, it's doing you no bit of good. That heart, is, he said he's signaling out and sending out uh, music, but it's not edifying because you don't know what in the world they're talking about. And then he goes on in verse 18 and 19. He said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Paul was not, once again, Paul was not against speaking in tongues because he said, I speak in tongues more than you all. So what is Paul telling us right here? He believes in being a Pentecostal believer. He said, yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that my voice, with my voice, I might reach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Just think if your pastor took his text and then spent 45 minutes speaking in tongues and then closed the service. You'd be like, wait, what? Unbelievers come into church. These people have lost their mind, and that dude is nuts. And that's what Paul was saying. He said, the, those, he said, it's barbarians. And barbarian, we hear that word barbarian, man, we're thinking, we're thinking, man, something bad. But that just means somebody hits foreign to them. It, it's foreign to them. He said, so when somebody comes in, knows nothing about get spiritual gifts and all of that, it's, it's like a barbarian, it's, it's foreign to them. I'm like a foreigner to them. And what's going on here? He said, once again, 
It's edified nobody. Lost souls are not being reached because they don't even understand what's going on. Understand, this is putting tongues on display for entertainment purposes. He's not talking about those that's moved by the Spirit. We'll get deeper into that here in a moment. I don't want to lose you here for a moment thinking uh, for, for any stretch of the imagination that Paul or myself is against speaking in tongues. That's not the case. But that is the context of what we're looking at in these first 19 verses. We go on to verses 20 through 25. He said, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice. Be ye children, but in understanding, be men. Another place Paul talked about that, of being child and growing up and being men. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto the people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesy and serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned, unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? So that's what I just covered, wasn't it? I got ahead of myself, didn't I? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearneth, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of truth. So if, if it's just all tongues, they don't, nothing's called out on them. But if an interpretation is given, and you see that face, how do they know that? How, and I've seen it. You've seen it. Anybody's been in church any amount of time. You've seen people run to an altar, and you've seen people ask the question. Years ago, uh, some friends that I know, they were on a mission trip, um, Guatemala, I believe it was, and they were watching. It was it was in the time of uh, when live stream was just getting started, and they was watching a live stream service of their church back home. The ladies that were there, and the instructor of the school was watching with them, the orphanage that they were ministering at. And the pastor began to preach, and it was just, he, spirit came on him. He began to speak in tongues in the middle of his message. And the lady asked, how does he know my language? I said, he don't know your language. He's, he's from McClenny, Florida. He don't believe me. He does not know your language. She said, I understood what he just said in my language. And I can't remember what it was, but it spoke directly to something personal in her life. Did he know that she was going to be watching? No. Did God know? Yes. Uh, and so that's what Paul is saying here, uh, that, that God can use those things and God can work in that fashion. Uh, but he's saying beyond, beyond all of this, practically speaking, he said that it's jarring to listen to others speak in tongues without an interpretation. It becomes mere noise is what he's saying. Worse, it might scare off unbelievers, driving them more deeply into unbelief and really putting labels on Pentecostals. But unbelievers exposed to the gift of prophecy, on the other hand, they cannot deny that. They'll fall under conviction because that's what was said. So he said, if it's just all tongues, what are you accomplishing? He said, but when it's interpreted, whoa, whoa. And they come to faith. So he said, we've got to recognize, recognizing, listen, if you're taking notes, just write this down. God at work among the Christians. That's what it's all about. God at work among the Christians. Not about how many more spiritual gifts do I have than you 
or how much I've been saved this much longer than you, or any of that, or I speak in tongues more, or I do this. No, God at work among the Christians. He follows uh, this teaching. Let's look, verses 26 through 33. Let me read it before I get ahead of myself again like I did last time. He said, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you have a psalm, have a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or the most by three, and that by course, and let, the inter- let one interpret. And if there be no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophet speak two or three, and let the others judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For you may also prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God, excuse me, is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches in the saints. So here, Paul is really teaching the specific commands about uh, the Corinthians and how they should conduct service. And really what Paul gives here in these verses is an outline of how a church service should be orchestrated, of how a church service should be laid out. He, he tells here uh, that, um, describes it in a series of presentations. He said, in each in turn, one at a time, one may bring a hymn. We call that congregationals or choir singing. So one may bring a hymn, then another a lesson, another a revelation from God by the means of gifts of prophecy. So Paul says that those with the gifts of tongues are, to, are free to speak as well, but only if someone with the gift of interpretation of tongues, including even the speaker, is available. And so when you may, in a church service, you hear somebody uh, stand up and the Holy Ghost is bold. Usually, there's a pretty good indication that it's the Spirit of God speaking. There's a boldness that comes with it, and that interpretation is given. And we pause, and there's silence because we're waiting for the interpretation. Why? Because the tongue by itself did no edifying, did us no good what is being spoken. And so we wait for the prophecy. And we wait for the prophecy, and when the prophecy comes, we know that God has spoken. Now, there's been times that someone has been praying and they've spoken tongues, and it's not that they're trying to be seen. It's nothing to that. They're, they're just moved on the Spirit. And that is up to the pastor typically to recognize that immediately and continue with the service and say they're just worshiping. Not just they're just worshiping, but they're worshiping, letting the church know that was not tongues interpretation. That's worship. And there's discernment that comes with that. And then there's times that we just flat out just keep preaching because they're off. They're whack. <laughs> they're out of their mind. I've, I've experienced that. I've been in a church service. Lady, give out a message in tongues. I was only there a short time. Lady gave out a message in tongues. I usually would have the interpretation if it was legit. I didn't have the interpretation. She gave the interpretation. It wasn't all bad. It was like, okay, or maybe, maybe. Next time, she gives out the, the, the message. No interpretation. She gives the interpretation. Same as last time. It's 
So the next time she gives out a message in tongues, I don't give her time to give the interpretation. I just keep on preaching. Just keep preaching. Somebody asked me, questioned me on it, said, Pastor, I noticed that lady gave, uh, stood up and spoke in tongues. You didn't give an interpretation. You didn't give her time to give an interpretation. You just kept preaching. I said, because she was out of order. And he said, well, I noticed the last couple times and probably every time I've ever heard her do it, even before you got here, same thing, same interpretation. I said, she's edifying self. She wants to be seen, and that's not going to happen. It didn't edify the church. Those are tough spots to be in. Well, he said, I'm glad somebody finally figured it out. After all of these years, somebody finally figured it out. That that is not pinning any roses on me, but what Paul is saying, uh, that we need to pursue charity. We need to do it about love and desire spiritual gifts. Man, we want, Paul said, I want tongues, and I want interpretation. I I want all the things in these churches, but we cannot get called up in these things that's not edifying the church, uh, but edifying individuals and singling out a person. Uh, Anybody that's ever been used of the gifts of tongues interpretation is the most humbling, gut-wrenching uh, things that you'll ever face in your life. I, I look at it as this. I've said it many times. It's like uh, being wrung out, like a wash rag being wrung out. And then you're there waiting for the interpretation if you give out the message in tongues because you don't want to be out of order. And then the Lord places the interpretation upon you or he places it on others. You go, whew. And then uh, others are, are different. Others don't even realize they did it before they know it. Boom, they've given out the message. But it's nothing to be seen. But if it's almost like somebody's like, boop, boop, boop. <laughs> look at me. And that's what he was dealing with with these Corinthians. What we see through all of these chapters leading up to, hey, look at me. Haven't we seen that all the way from chapter 1 all the way up till chapter 12? He was, he's dealing with these folks. That, hey, look at me. Look how spiritual I am. I've arrived. We're going to have church. And so that's what he was dealing with, and that's what he had to deal with. And back to God is speaking to the church. And he is saying here that those exercising the gifts of prophecy should be followed by a discussion among those with the gift of discerning spirits to confirm or deny that the prophet's message was from God. And that's what you'll see. A message is given out in service. Usually the pastor or the evangelist. Uh, you may have noticed in, during camp meeting, the message was given out tongues interpretation. Uh, and Brother Elijah or, was conducting that service. He was in the middle of a sermon, I believe, when that happened. Uh, and he said, let's take time to recognize that the Holy Ghost has spoken. And we'll typically, we want to give recognition and thank God for the word that has been spoken to us. And sometimes that'll be it. They'll give an altar call, and then like Brother Elijah was during camp meeting, he felt that he needed to go on, and that's all right. That's all right. You have to, be, you have to follow uh, that discernment and go through on that. So he begins to say here that only two or three tongue, speak in tongues, but, but there needs to be a prophecy when that happens. When someone stands up in such a bold way and gives out a message in tongues, uh, uh, there, ha- there should be an interpretation. And then sometimes we say, well, there was an interpretation in that moment. It could be a, a, a confirming of what is being preached. So... Really, the message came before the tongue. So it's the Holy Ghost saying, that's what I'm speaking to you. This isn't the man in the pulpit. Talk. Sometimes we think, well, that's just what the pastor wants me to hear. 
That's just what the evangelists put together for this service. Uh, Sister Amy Kahn can tell you uh, during camp meeting it's very difficult to make graphics, and, and we appreciate that because those guys were up to the last moment any days. Why? Because they're praying, and they want, I want to make sure that what, not thus, not what I got in my preaching notebook just to, I go preach this, this will work, but no, they're in a prayer call. And that's why God spoke to us every service in this camp meeting now, is because, see, we could have had a Holy Ghost message given out at the end of every service without interpretation, and that would have been a confirmation saying, Yep, that's for me. That is what, so that happens, and that takes place. Prophecy, prophecy. And then these last few verses, beginning with verse number 34, 34 and 35, he covers this. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law, and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. People will say, well, all you women, hush up. That's not what Paul is saying. He raises this issue of women's participation in church. You know how many churches have, have stayed open and stayed viable and thriving over the years? Because women, women came to church. Because husbands were too busy fishing, golfing, whatever. Hunting, amen. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Too busy for God. Drinking, carousing. You know how many women have taken a beating? Not because they was running around on their husband with another man, because they said, I'm going to go to church whether he likes it or not. They come to church and go. So Paul is most definitely not speaking against women worshiping, testifying, uh, teaching, preaching, none of these. He commands the wives specifically here to remain silent and save questions about the proceedings of their, for their husbands when they are at home. Perhaps here these restrictions have more to do with their marriage relationship than it does the role of women in service. So what he is he's speaking here that, oh, that women should go back to what God put in place. The weaker vessel know their role when it comes to the marriage. So... If a woman's husband is there and is a part of that is what he's looking at. Perhaps that's what he's talking about. Because when we say this, that it's not the emphasis of women keep quiet in church, you have to go back to chapter 11 and chapter 12 when he talks about spiritual gifts. He is, Paul is here in this letter, allowed women to offer prayers of prophecies if their heads were properly covered. He speaks of Women who prophesy. He speaks of the daughters of Philip who prophesy. You go back to the Old Testament judges, and you have Deborah, and you have so many others that God used in a great and a mighty way. You go back to Esther. Uh, Man, aren't you glad that Esther spoke up? Right? She was in a position and placed in a position uh, 
to speak up. So so many people will, and we've seen it over the years, they would love to use that for that, but I, I, we just cannot see that that's what Paul is talking about. It appears to be similar here to, to give a conflicting or confusing message. Uh, if, if we take just these two verses by themselves, we say, and Paul says women should stay quiet in church, uh, but once again, you have to back up and see the whole picture. He's already spoke about women prophesying. He's already talked about women uh, speaking in church. Uh, and so when we go there and, and look into that, he throws that out that, and he says, what came, verse 36, what came the word of God out from you or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covered to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Look at verse 36. He says, what? Came the word of God out from you? Or came it unto you only? That's what he was dealing with. That's what Paul was writing to. I call it the Elijah mentality. I'm the only one. Because, I mean, we pick on Elijah. He, he was in a tough season of his life, and we can call it that, but we've all been there. We feel isolated. So Elijah was there. I'm sorry, Brother Elijah. You can slap me upside the head when I get to heaven. And we pick on Thomas too much for doubting, but how many of us have doubted? So, so we pick these guys out. But we, well, I think of Elijah there in that cave, and he's like, woe is me. And, and why? Because... He was not. He he came from a spiritual high to running deep in the desert, running from Jezebel. Now, if you want to run from Jezebel's spirits and run from the devil and run from the onslaught of the enemy, uh, you too will get into the place to say, "Woe is me!" Uh, and this and and so Elijah's thinking, "Man, we I just this great victory was wrought, and so God just has to to humble us." What you think the word of God came out of you? Did you write it? God asked Job, where was you? Remember reading that? Anybody ever read the book of Job? Where was you when I formed this world? Where was you? Did I ask your input before I spoke it all in existence? I don't know about you, but I didn't get an email or a text message or anything else from God before he did anything. Creation? Listen, I didn't get a message from God and say, listen, here in a few weeks I'm going to call you to preach underneath that tent. Just wanted to know if you want to do it. I didn't. He said, preach my word. No other option. What if I don't want to preach your word? Preach my word. And so then he asked another question. Or come, came it unto you only? You think you're the only one that God ever gave a message to? Do you think you're the only one that God speaks to? I've had people come to me over the years, God told me to tell you this. Maybe he did. Most likely he didn't. Because I talk to him every day. I think he would have told me. Right? So some just think that the only way they're going to know is if I tell them. Paul's saying that's not the case. That's not the case. So he concludes this chapter by stating again these two essential principles for worship service. We can't miss these. 
Christians in a given congregation cannot claim special privileges or knowledge over other believers. All are subject to the same tests of truth and love. All. There's no big I's and little U's. And we wonder, why do they seem more spiritual than I do or I am? It's because they were obedient. Paul's not saying there's not going to be those that are more spiritual than others. There's going to be those that's more spiritual than others because they were willing to obey. You know why we're usually not spiritually mature? Same reason our kids are not very mature. Because I don't want to. Go clean your room. I don't want to. Get up. I don't want to. Preach. I don't want to. Go to church. I don't want to. Pay your tithe. I don't want to. And so we spend all of this time, I don't want to. And all the while, think about this. You've got two people. You've got this one over here. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And a lot of those people are guilty of us song leaders leading a verse 12 times. Because if they'll sing that verse one more time, Lord, I'll do it. Ten verses later, you just, I don't I, and then somebody over there steps out and does it and key to the service. Why? Because they didn't want to either, but they didn't want to miss God. <laughs> it ain't, I, want, I don't want anybody to see me, and, and I, I don't want anybody to think this is me, and I don't want to, but I do want to see a move of God. And so they began to grow, and, begin, and that's what Paul is saying. All the principles of worship are the same for all of us. In any given congregation, uh, it, we cannot claim special privileges or knowledge of other believers. Uh, I love that song. It says, not, it's not because I'm good. It's not because I'm great. It's not because I'm strong. I just held on. I just held on to the profession of my faith without wavering. I just want to please the Lord. Don't think for a moment that, that, for, that I'm in this thing to be seen, uh, that I am in this thing that you say, wow, he's, uh, he's super spiritual. Because, listen, we all mess up. We all fall short. We all have our issues. Uh, and if we're trying to, uh, uh, to bring across any other message, we're being deceiving. And I, I refuse from the time God called me to preach, especially since God called me to pastor, to stand up in a platform and make people think that I have never sinned and I never mess up and I never fall short and I've got this thing all figured out and I've got it all together. I probably should, but if I do that, then they think the first moment that they mess up, God's done with me. God's finished with me. And it is, it is a tough thing when you step into a pulpit to know that you, can, you came up short. And you've had to spend time repenting and saying, God, forgive me. Paul recognized that. He said, don't let me preach to others and find that I myself am a castaway. So he deals with his sin. So he's saying that we, we, we all, we don't have any special privilege, but we're subject to the same tests of truth and love. Listen, some pass the test, and some fail the test. But aren't you glad that God gives retakes? <laughs> That's why I had to sing the verse 12 times, because God given you another chance, another opportunity. Just obey God. You want to grow and become spiritually mature and have spiritual gifts? Just obey God. But what if somebody thinks, I could care less what somebody else thinks? I want God's will. I want God's will. 
I'm not trying to be seen of man. Paul was dealing with folks here that was worried about being seen of men. So what we receive from this is that knowing this, uh, that we, here's a, here's a simple for me. If it wasn't for the call of God, I wouldn't be on this platform anyway. I, within myself, there's nothing in my personality uh, or, or my makeup or anything else that would make me want to travel the country or the world to stand up in front of people. It's just not in my character. And definitely not to oversee a congregation and be responsible for others. I had 22 jobs before the Lord called me to preach. I wasn't responsible for myself. And now God's filled me with the Holy Ghost and said, I'm going to place you in a position to oversee and be responsible for others. The only thing that I've done in life that's lasted is my marriage and my ministry. Why? Because God orchestrated them. God placed them there. And so Paul is saying uh, that you're going to face some tests and you're going to face these truths, uh, but do it in love. Everything must be done in order and peacefully way, reflecting God's orderly character. And he said only that which builds up the church should be included in that. Even if some people must keep the expression of their spiritual gifts to themselves. He said, make it about the church, not yourself. That's, that's the context of chapter 14. That most Bible studies and different ones... I'll be honest with you, I even looked through our, um, Sister Underwood gave me um, evangelical commentary for our Church of God Sunday School material all the way back to 1974. And I thumbed through those to try to find a study on chapter 14. I found a study on chapter 13, and the very next lesson was on 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Even within the church of God, they, the material, they did not cover it in this Sunday school material. Why? I don't know. But when I saw that, that they kind of just touched on it in this, I felt, no, we need a week. We need one service designated to chapter 14, especially as Pentecostals. Because if there's any confusion in the church, we cannot let there be confusion around the fact of speaking in tongues, the gifts of tongues, what we believe as Pentecostals, and how it is reflected in God's Word. We can't sidestep chapter 14 because we think that Paul uh, could be saying there that tongue-talking shouldn't be in church because he does not say that at all. He said, I speak in tongues more than you all. I speak in tongues more than you all. I speak in tongues. But he says, he also says, you can't base it. You cannot build a church, and you cannot base a church around tongue-talking. None of it will stand on its own. There's, that's the wonderful thing about God's Word. There's not one part of it that stands by itself. Whole book. He said, you need to study the Word rightly divided. Cover to cover. Oh, we're New Testament only. Well, you better get saved. Because it takes the whole book. The whole book. What, what is that? Give it to me, Paul. You probably remember better than I do. You don't get any clearer than that. You know what that tells me? You can't do away with any of it. I've told people I believe it from Genesis to the maps. 
I go further than that. From the front cover to back cover. From mine, from Holy Bible all the way to the back that says genuine leather, ISBN, whatever those numbers. I believe it all. It's going to take all of it. So daily, Paul is saying daily, the most important thing is pursue charity. What is he saying? Pursue agape. And what did he say agape? God is agape. So what is he telling us at the beginning of chapter 14 before he gets to any of this discussion that may leave some scratching their head? He said, here's the simple understanding of it. Seek after God. Jesus said it himself. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added. There's no good gift, no spiritual gift. There's no person, no person that God is going to leave out when it comes to spiritual gifts. People say, well, tongues and the Holy Ghost is not for everybody. Hogwash. God wants you to be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It's laid out in Scripture. It's for everyone. It's for whosoever will. Just like salvation, sanctification, Holy Ghost baptism, gifts, it's all there. But the first, he, he nailed it in the first few words, pursue love. Pursue agape. Pursue God. Are you pursuing God? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. We may, our head may be hurting tonight, maybe swirling a little bit going through chapter 14. It does to study it. It does to try to explain it, and it probably does to try to receive it. But it's very simple. Seek God. Are you seeking God? Once again, what is seeking God? Not his hands of what he can give me. He said, seek me. Seek me. Seek his heart. Seek his face. Seek his eyes. Seek him. I want God. Not the fishes and the loaves. I want God. Not the healings, but the healer. Not even the deliverance, but the deliverer. How, how many of us have got to that place in our walk with God? I'm going to serve God. If cancer takes me out, so what? I'm going to serve God. If I lose everything, I don't care. I fell in love with him. I'm pursuing him. That's spiritual maturity. If not, if we're not spiritual mature, we're going to question everything that goes wrong. But God, just think. I'll close after this because I got to, I got to dart. I got to pick my daughter up. She's coming back from a field trip. But just think if every time we said, God, I don't understand why I'm going through this. I've been faithful in here and I've been faithful there. If God came back in all the areas that we fell short, and all the areas that we were unfaithful, God doesn't work that way. His grace is sufficient. God is faithful. But are we? we just got to be faithful. We've got to pursue Him. We've got to, to love Him. And don't think for a minute that God owes us anything. He gave us eternal life he died in our stead and god is going to reward he said he will diligently reward reward those that seek him diligently no good gift will he withhold from you but when we're like okay god about time for a raise about time i deserve you see what i just did over there that's what paul was dealing with that's why he wrote this letter 
because they thought they had it all figured out and they were something. And Paul said, come on back down here to earth and realize that your focus must be on God. Pursue godly love. Can we take a few moments and do that tonight around these altars? Just, I can't help it. Y'all know I'm goofy. But when I see that word pursue and pursuit, I think of a show that we used to watch as kids, Dukes of Hazard. That, that Roscoe Pico trained, anybody remember him? He said, hot pursuit, hot pursuit. And he'd rub those hands together because he just knew that he was going to get those Duke boys. How many of us are that excited about the opportunity of finding the perfect will of God for our life to say, I'm in hot pursuit? How many of us are really in hot pursuit of God's perfect will for our lives? Not just getting by, not just showing up, but there's got to be more to it than this. I'm going all in. Pursue love. Father, we love you tonight. We gather around these altars this evening with a pursuit for you. A pursuit not for a tongue, a pursuit not for an interpretation, a pursuit not for advancement, a pursuit not for a name, but pursue you and your kind of love, to be able to love others as you love, to be able to love ourselves as you love us, to give ourselves grace as you give us grace, to be merciful as you are merciful, to be kind as you're kind. Lord God, to know that we should not be in a place of casting judgment at every opportunity, but saying, Lord, help me to see them through your eyes. When we do that, we're ready. We're candidates for the spiritual gifts that you have. When we begin to get into that place of our only pursuit is God's will. So we come to an altar tonight and we pursue you, God, and all that entails. As we gather in these altars tonight and pursue you, give all that entails. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you come and say, God, I just, I just want you and what all, what all that entails. Your will, not mine.